Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Dave Simonette, a singer, songwriter, guitar player for Trampled by Turtles. I'm at home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I never really thought about what I'm trying to do with my art, I guess. It's just, uh, just to make it is, is really the, the end goal there. Hold out in a blackboard on a... Sit down right where you want On a yellow morning Beside All the good times are gone 20 years in, Trampled by Turtles. I mean, that's uh, it's a pretty impressive feat if you break it down. Yeah, thank you. I feel like uh, we are all, I think, very proud of that one. I mean, we also shouldn't jinx it because we have a few months until that that actually happens. But on the verge of it is enough for me. Yeah, it's you know of all the things that can I can stop a band from staying together, and and uh, you know we've kind of so far successfully swerved around all those things. So feel very lucky, man, for sure. Thanks for being with us. You're tuned into the show on the road, uh, my music discovery podcast, where we get to talk to some of the greatest artists and songwriters of our time. And uh, Dave Simonette has been making music with Trampled by Turtles up in Minnesota for over 20 years. And as a fellow songwriter, I am amazed at his longevity, at his passion, and honestly, at his perseverance. Do you know anybody who's been working the same job day after day, week after week, and actually getting better as they go along for 20 straight years? I doubt it. And as we'll talk about in this episode, uh, their new record, Glow, was created with one of the great Americana rock and roll masters of our time, Jeff Tweedy. So I'm really excited for you to hear this music. The other thing I'm really excited about is that 
A lot of people, young people especially, went out and voted yesterday. I record this the day after the midterm election day happened, and uh, it felt momentous, like maybe we could actually dig ourselves out of this big hole that we've created. And I don't know about you, but I've been dealing with a lot of existential dread and wondering where my place in this country is right now, whether my voice matters at all right now, not just as a songwriter, but as a human being, as a citizen. And my hope is, honestly, that more artists, songwriters, bands can start using their microphones for good, getting the word out about what's right and what's wrong. Okay, without further ado, here he is now, Dave Simonette of Trampled by Turtles. And can you introduce, uh, even though they're not there, but spiritually, yeah. they're here with us, your bandmates and what they do? Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll start on stage left. It's uh, Eamon McLean is the cello player. Tim Taxhog is the bass player. Uh, Dave Carroll is our banjo player. Um, Ryan Young is our fiddle player. And Eric Berry is our mandolin player. Did you imagine, as a kid that you'd be playing music full-time? Was there a moment where you were like, oh, I think I could really do this? Or was it a total pipe dream? Uh, I did imagine that. Um, I can I can really remember it starting maybe seventh to eighth grade. Uh, I had a friend that played guitar and uh, I became really obsessed with learning how to do that. And it took me a couple of years before I, I, I ended up doing it. But it, you know, all through uh, early high school, it's all I want, even before I could play music or written a song or anything, it's really what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't really, thankfully, now that I look back on it, I never really had anybody tell me it wasn't realistic at the time. So it felt like just something that anybody could pick up <laughs> and do, uh, which I've kind of always kept that attitude that, that it's very realistic to, to do that if you, if you, you know, you work hard enough at it, so to speak. But um, it, it's, that's all I can, you know, but my, my dream job that I can remember before playing music was a, to be a professional baseball player. And that was when I was really young. So it's been, it's been my dream for a long time. Waited like a mousetrap queen of the sky, I'll tell me I'm forgiven. Simulated pilgrims, why, oh, why won't they take me with them? Sell me something bright and shinier than I can imagine. Parting ways, those summer days, so happy to have had them. Were you a Twins fan when Kirby Puckett yeah. and those guys were crushing it? Yeah, still a Twins fan, but those were the glory years. You got that right. As a sad, diehard White Sox fan, we would dread coming to the Metrodome. Every time we went there, our and season I, went to die. I was a little kid, you know, I, I'm 42. So I was around for both of our World Series wins in 87 and 91. Are you from Duluth originally? No, I grew up in a town called Mankato, Minnesota. Kind of like Southern Minnesota farm community. A little bit bigger than that, maybe. And then I moved to Duluth to attempt to go to college when I was 18 and uh, that I made it through school one year and then dropped out and started playing music, but I stayed there for a long time. As I tell my wife, it seems like truly successful people are all 
college dropouts. <laughs> and yet we will encourage our eight month old daughter to definitely finish college. Yeah. I mean, I'll encourage my kids to do that too. Should they decide <laughs> to go that way? I'm not, you know, I have kind of, a, I think you're right, but it, you know, it just depends on what that person wants to do. And I, I, all I wanted to do was play music and I could not find a path through that school that led me to that, you know, in, in the way that I wanted to do it. And I couldn't, you know, I was trying to visualize going to school for something else and to try to get a career doing something else, which I think is usually the point of going to college. Um, and none of that made sense to me. So, you know, I feel like I, I like to think that I've had that experience. So if my kids feel that way, I support them in there too. What is the first release officially by Trampled by Turtles? Is it Songs from a Ghost Town or is there something earlier? Yeah, no, Songs from a Ghost Town, 2004. My brother works for the CIA. I remember listening to that when that came out. <laughs> and being like, this band is weird, but I kind of like it. <laughs> like, you probably have that too when you go back and listen to your old stuff, man. It's like you're a different person, you know? Days go flying by. I can't wait till you and I are find the home again. Well, there ain't no easy answers. When the circus is in town And troubled juries hang each other dead And the TV's filled with poets Who only write in rhyme And my brother works for the CIA he's not doing time Because, you know, the Bluegrass Festival circuit, I think, was just blossoming when you guys yeah. started out. And obviously you've played all the biggest venues and, and festivals around the world that honor the acoustic music tradition. Um, but I think when I listen to your songs, I don't hear like traditional, like Southern bluegrass. Obviously you guys are from up North. Right. So there's something um, that's filtered through uh, a rock and roll lens for me, which makes, I think total sense having Jeff Tweedy produced your newest record, Alpen Glow, which comes uh -huh. out uh, at the end of October. Because Jeff, again, for me, is like the the godfather of that genreless roots rock and roll, you know, yeah. where you can't quite pinpoint what it is, but it just feels timeless, you know. Sure. Well, I uh, that's great. I mean, I, yeah, I think that we, you know, when our band started, it was a side project, really. All of, most of us that started the band were playing in other bands in town like rock band uh and this was something that none of us had ever done we'd never none of us had ever been in like an acoustic focused group and so it was something to do like a weird thing to do on the side and i think in the beginning you know this this was way back in the olden times before like streaming was around so we would go to the record store and buy find like these old bluegrass records folk records and stuff like that that none of us had ever heard and learn the songs and play right. and i think our first couple albums you know we were that was still that it was like i'm gonna write a bluegrass song you know and then once i think once the band became everybody's main focus which happened fairly early on uh we we're like well let's uh, as a songwriter anyway i was like i don't want to write like i'm a you know not me and i'd rather kind of work with the same material that i would do for a rock band but do it with this band instead. And so that was kind of the method since then. Like it didn't have to lyrically or, you know, melody wise, it didn't always have to sound like a string band. It was just like, let's take a song I would have written for any other band and put it in this instrumentation. So um, I think that that 
just out of like scientific necessity would kind of make us our own thing, you know? Well, in a way, I think um, having a base in harder electric music um, (laughs) is a way to sort of practice the speed and the (laughs) agility of this music because on on one hand bluegrass and you know a lot of american folk music feels accessible that's why i think a lot of us were able to get into it we can learn let the circle be unbroken right we can learn these songs that have been around for generations and it feels like they're like a nice worn-in shoe that you can step into but once you start creating stuff of your own um you guys just definitely were known for your just raw fury speed you know and yeah. some of that early stuff <laughs> i remember seeing angry. some early early videos you know and just being like these guys are like heavy metal <laughs> acoustic music in a way you know it's like yeah. bringing those two things together and you see a guy like billy strings who's obviously risen to the top of this field you know grew up playing kind of punk rock heavy sure. hardcore stuff you know i the first band i was in in chicago was a punk band you know yeah i think there's um, a lot of overlap there really you know uh technically like music uh playability kind of stuff like you know to make it to to be simple i guess it's like they're too like fast like you got to be able to kind of keep up to play in a punk band or in a you know like to do that with bluegrass instruments too i think that we also uh relied less on like technical proficiency maybe than a guy like billy who's just like insanely good as right. well you know he's like he also doesn't really hit wrong notes which we got plenty of those <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah uh ours, i think was was more like energy based than, than uh than talent maybe <laughs> were you surprised when palomino the record from 2010 kind of went in a mainstream recognition place Absolutely. i mean yeah that you was know, everywhere for a second there. Re- yeah it's relative to us you know it's not like it was like a wasn't like an Adele record or anything, but it was for us. It was a, a, a kind of a major leap out of just our little region into um, we. You know, we noticed it really. We noticed that kind of stuff based on touring. That's kind of what we always do. So we all of a sudden we were going to places that used to have nobody, and now there were some crowds there, and it was it was it was a wonderful time. But absolutely a surprise. We made that record for no, you know, barely any money. Uh, and a bunch of different studios. Most of it was done in our friend Eric Hoskins' studio, which is a, a great place, but, you know, it's very much like a DIY space. Um, thankfully, he's an incredible engineer, so it worked out great. But it was, you know, it wasn't like a high-budget production, and it was, you know, we were still pretty young. And so, uh, you know, we, I think we made like a video that was just us playing a song and, and, and that kind of stuff. And so... No, nobody thought we just never thought that anything like that would happen to our band anyway so any little thing that did uh, was a surprise and still is when you look at a song like wait so long having close to what 50 million yeah. streams at this point i know that's it's like approaching like six bucks I mean, you guys got to be set for life with that six bucks. You know? <laughs> right. No, but like, that's a song that has gotten into a lot of people's consciousness. Yeah. 
for years, you know, and that's uh, it's an impressive feat for a, an acoustic band, right? I think a lot of times when we're trying to compete with whatever mainstream thing right now, hip hop, pop music, it feels right. like if you're playing real instruments, it's like you're pushing a rock up a huge mountain. <laughs> like you're so far behind. Like how can we compete with Dua Lipa and yeah. Beyonce? Like the there's there's no way, you know. But every now and again, a song like Wait So Long can kind of sneak through the cracks and become, right. yeah. you know, I mean, I guess like you could see like a Mumford and Sons or, or Lumineers every now and again. I wish yeah. there were more bands with real instruments that could have a mainstream recognition more than sure. once every seven years or something. <laughs> but like, yeah, well, you know, for a long time, that was all there was. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, I feel like there's always going to be a space for it, I hope. And uh, there's, I feel like there's got a little bit of a pendulum that swings back and forth, you know, like it can go, we're, we're finding whole new landscapes of electronic ways to make music at the moment, which is really cool that people, right. I feel like people are finding like new ways to be artistic in that space. It's beyond my, you know, it's above my pay grade. I love how accessible it is for kids, especially to, to start making music now. Um, but then I feel like for every inch you move that way, there's going to be a, 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 another swing backwards. Like, wow, I wonder what this is like with an, like an instrument that just sounds like something on its own. Um, you know, and the, and the work it takes to learn that, that format as well. I feel like every time uh, we move towards the electronic, we also move back towards the acoustic as well. It's just like a, the landscape gets wider and wider, and I feel like it's it's all it's all great, you know. I think I think in, in the end, like a song, if somebody writes a great song that maybe not a great song, but how about like a, a song that really connects with people in one way or another? Right. I think that the instrumentation very much comes second uh, to whether or not that song gets heard by a lot of people. The opening track of Altham Glow, It's So Hard to Hold On, um, again, very rooted in that string band bass, um, yeah. but I think has that sort of melancholy drive that a lot of my favorite Wilco songs have. Um, sure. Did Jeff sort of encourage songs like that to go in a certain direction, or how did he make his imprint? Yeah, he did a lot of arranging with us, which was great. It was like... I, I brought all of the songs in the the band. The rest of the band had heard maybe half of them, um, just some demos I'd sent around. But we hadn't played really any of them together. Well, maybe a couple, but not not a lot. You know, like we hadn't really rehearsed much. Um, and so I brought them in pretty raw, but I thought they were done. And then 
we started recording. I think that was the first one we recorded too. And that one changed a lot. I mean, I think it's about half as long now. Um, some parts were changed around. He was just really good at like, okay, I like the base of this, but I'm going to help you make it like more listenable <laughs> for somebody. Or yeah. let's just try, you know, the, the chord progression is getting a little repetitive. Let's try switching it on the second half of the verse. And he did a lot of that stuff on pretty much every song. Um, on the record, which was a great exercise for me because I don't really write with other people uh, and not out of an opposition to it, really, uh, but more just I just haven't done it that much. Um, and it wasn't, we were, weren't writing songs together per se, but we, he was, we were going in and be like, hey, this is, you know, let's just try all of these other versions of the same thing that you're doing. And it was really helpful to me to get out of that box. And I mean, you know how it is. You work, you write songs for a long time and it's a lot of times uh, even unconsciously you fall back into really similar patterns so um it would have that our album would have sounded a whole lot different without jeff there. And you guys, and you guys recorded this mostly live with no overdubs, right? Yeah, almost all of it. I sang, I think everything live. Um, that's a tightrope walk. I mean, that's that's a scary yeah, walk. To- I like, I love recording like that though. I'm the most, maybe ironically, but I'm the most comfortable in that situation. I feel like when I, um, I mean, if I can't get a take singing live, if I'm the one that's messing up every time, then I'll go back and and do it. Uh, overdub but this time that didn't really happen um but i we, we've always i feel like worked better that way in the studio and because we do accept a certain amount of of mistake in each in, in a keeper take you know what i mean like i i feel like for us it's much more important to have the entire thing feel like a cohesive right. vibe than to have every note be completely perfect so with that mindset it's it's really easy for us to record live actually we play live together that's how we're the best um i play it better when i can see the other guys and i can just hear them you know like without headphones on really and uh yeah and jeff was down to work like that so it was great it was the whole thing was really casual man a lot of the songs he he's credited with guitar on that record on a bunch of tunes and that really came from him just kind of like coming out where we were playing and sitting down and just playing with us and maybe coming up with a cool part to keep or or whatever. But he, you know, we were all just kind of sitting around, like sitting in a living room. You mentioned his ability to whittle down versus mm-hmm. song structure, and obviously, I think his ability to create an an economy of language and um, sound is something that definitely you could hear on this record, especially the the song that he wrote, "A Lifetime." Uh, yeah. to find um it's just doing i honestly what i think john prine did best too kind of yeah, hitting the nail with one hammer stroke <laughs> yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah. and, and like then the, piercing through real quick you know yeah just great at that he's a great i mean uh he's in my opinion he's one of our great songwriters you know and uh so i, I trust him when he comes up with us you know and 
most of the ideas he had, we end up keeping in some, if, if not in the first form, you know, some kind of varied form. He's just kind of intuitive in that way. And it was really helpful for us to do that and just for us to have somebody like an extra set of ears even. But for him, you know, it's just like, so, it's, it's the guy that we all respect already. You know, I, I loved his work for a long time. And so it's easy, it's easy to take advice from a guy like that, you know. It takes a lifetime to find A life like the life you had in mind It takes a lifetime to find A life like the life you had in mind Now you're mine Now, obviously you're coming on the 20th anniversary of this band's existence, um, but it could have stopped permanently around 2016 right i mean yeah. you guys kind of had a hiatus slash full-on breakup depends who you ask right uh, yeah yeah I, I quit the band i mean at, at that time uh and it turns out what we really needed was just a break and that's what we ended up taking and and uh thanks i got some very understanding bandmates that were okay with me kind of crawling back uh but we were just touring too much you know and as we found i think i found we all kind of not everybody's breaking point is the same in that way but my i found mine and it was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life at the time and then we were just on the road constantly uh so life felt very chaotic and i didn't want to stop playing music but uh just like this whole i just needed i wanted everything to stop and just change like i want to do something else um and it turns out I just needed some space from from this thing, and you know we took a year and a half away, at least man, almost two years I guess a, away from from playing shows and from like really even hanging out, and um, and it was you know when we decided to come back we we started in the studio instead of going back on the road, uh, kind of gently started coming back to play with each other and it was honestly better than it had been really the, our whole career i think for me and that was uh was that life is good on the open road yeah which is kind of an ironic name if you think about it when you're like god i just need to escape this <laughs> well, torturous you, drive throughout kansas right? and, and nebraska so every year but life is good on but, the uh, it was me trying to to think about it like change my paradigm a little bit because getting off of tour uh, and i i toured with another you know my other band a lot during that time but getting off of our tour uh there's nothing like some space from it to really make you appreciate it you know so i was like i've been really down on traveling and playing and i just wanted to be home and i've been really down on this lifestyle and then when i took some time away from it uh you know like it's cliche but it was like actually i miss it and so let me try to think about this differently let's think about how many um, like the parts of this that I love, you know, and that's where that record kind of came from. I was like, I, let me think about the freedom that it gives me and the, uh, you know, to be able to work in, in writing songs and playing songs. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly lucky thing to have. And so I tried to start thinking about it that way. And, and I think that's where that all came from. Hidden 
Restless wind in the calling them Dying fast like the highest noon Well, I never learned from nothing What do you think is the low point worst show that you can think of with Trampled by Turtles? <laughs> like when people were throwing uh, things at you. Like what was yeah. there a was there a moment? Was there a specific uh, show? You can totally trash talk a certain city if you want, but like is there a moment where you're like, maybe I need to question my life choices? Because we all have, have that one show. Two, two shows. All yeah, right. I have two. Well, I have two that for different reasons. The first one being what you're talking about, where the crowd just hated it. It was this, it was very early. I was booking the band. Uh, this was like 2004 or five, maybe. And I was just calling bars. You know, we were like, let's, we want to go to the West Coast. So I was just calling places, uh-huh. calling. Uh, <clears throat> very different world back then, you know. And I got, we got one of our weird, shitty shows that we got via my talents at booking was like a little like sports bar and i'm gonna i think it was corvallis oregon and i'm okay. sorry people of corvallis if that was wrong but if you've been there you know small town college town uh college town yeah so we played this sports bar and where we had i think we even set up our own little pa and we definitely were running our own town i know that <laughs> and we're having a lot of trouble with that and for all of you that <clears> tried <throat> to run acoustic instruments in a sports bar with some very subpar gear yeah a lot of that going on and people were not happy with it (laughs) (laughs) we're definitely letting us know and we played a very short set and i remember being like yeah i could go without doing that again but it wasn't i didn't want to hang up the spurs or anything uh my second one was much later and we were playing a very awesome venue the, the um this was in St. the pageant in St. Louis. I'm right about all that. And one of our, on our, maybe our first tour back from that break, we were just talking about. And that song you were talking about before, Wait So Long, came up out in the middle of the set. And I forgot the entire song of words, <laughs> of lyrics. And, I, you know, I go up just like playing, go up to sing, and there's nothing there. And it was, uh, I mean, it's like my worst fear on stage. And I, I were you, where, had you been drinking like stage and stuff? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there like but a no, specific I was, I was like, fine, was I was like, like fine to get on stage. It yeah. wasn't that. I don't know what happened, man. Yeah. I've, I've always been pretty bad at remembering lyrics under the spotlight. And it's what it's kind of like this thing that people that have watched us play a long time probably aren't that surprised happens if I forget a verse or something. Right. Um, which happens to everybody, you know, but this time there was just nothing. And oh, yeah. we even restarted the song. Like it was very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and finally I just had uh the crowd sing it and we got through it. But then 
and that, I don't know, it was like a mix of humor and, and uh, for me, I felt horrible. But then the worst part about it was I looked down and we said like eight songs to go. <laughs> and now I'm like, I don't remember any of them. You know, but <laughs> we, we got, I did. Uh, thankfully, it came back and I, I, whatever black hole I went in, I got out of. But uh, the mind is a tricky little bastard on stage sometimes, man. That was my least favorite performance I've ever had. I, I would take that Corvallis, Oregon shit crowd over that any day <laughs> well i always say that lyric memory is sort of like uh shooting a free throw or like huh, right. or like bowling it's like the more you aim the more you are like oh god i have to remember the less you remember somehow it's exactly right. whereas it's just Absolutely. muscle memory and, and free yep. movement of and your the, body the problem is it's so hard to get back from that space once the thought enters your mind though wherever it comes from you know, but I'm very conscious of that. I know, like, once I start trying to think about a song before we start playing it, I got to I gotta get out of there real fast or else it's going to be a conscious thing the whole time. And uh, there's nothing worse than, than thinking when you're on stage. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not where you're supposed to be. We had a situation uh, on Saturday in Kentucky that I've never had in over 10 years with our band. It was a moonshine festival. Oh boy, okay. So there is risk involved. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it was also 37 degrees at showtime somehow in this little Whoa, holler. Oh, yeah. Dang. We, we were playing after Lucinda Williams, which was amazing. Yeah, um, that's real cool. And we have this guitar player who's great. He's only been with us a few times, but literally at soundcheck, he seems fine. Everyone seems fine. Uh-huh. But we're all people are giving us stuff to try moonshine. And I mean, there was a lot of substances going around, but everyone again, yeah, cool, seemed man. fine. All of a sudden I look over during our first song and he is like, not okay. Oh no. He's like <laughs> almost like kind of like wandering the stage and just playing oh, loud feedback on his guitar. Like, Oh no. Like a Nirvana, like breakdown oh, off of like in bloom. I don't know what it was. It was like, oh, maybe he's just okay. sort of like feeling it tonight or trying some stuff. <laughs> and he is a little more of the rock and roll, you know, side of our band. But right. it just started to be not musical. It was just like he was just blasting various sounds over oh, our horn section and stuff. And then I look back, he's like hugging the drummer. <laughs> He's like literally sitting like, on the drum oh, riser man. and like resting his head show. on my amp. Like, oh boy. And then eventually he like was like almost collapsing and they took him off stage. They're just like, all right, we got to help this guy out. Oh, and no. we were like, I guess we're going to keep playing. It was the first couple songs of our set, 75 minutes set, <laughs> you know? And he was just like out and he doesn't remember anything of that Yo. night. Like oh, he, no. he like woke up the next day. He's totally fine. And to this like, day, we don't know <laughs> if someone did someone oh like God. drop something in his moonshine or like, oh, but yeah. we all had the same stuff and we felt fine. Some so. strong stuff, man. Uh, you gotta be careful with that Kentucky moonshine, dude. We've had experiences there too. One, two, one, two, three, Rolling like a wave in the middle A pony in the 
The song uh, of Alpenglow, um, Burlesque Desert Window, feels like a party that's simmering in the back of an old saloon, <laughs> you know, like about to go off okay, the rails. I like that. How did that song come together? That, that one was like a really fun... I wrote that before I had a melody for it, which is kind of unique for me. Normally, I my writing process generally is I kind of mess around on a guitar or piano or something and I come up with a little melody and then that kind of sparks the idea for a song. But that one was almost, it almost started as, well, part of it started as a little poem I was working on. And then it, then it just kind of like scattered off from there. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit vague and random lyrically, which I wanted it to be, you know, it's like working on interesting what I thought of as interesting turns of phrase, um, kind of, kind of, kind of a synopsis of like a psychedelic experience a little bit. Uh, but that was just the basis of it. It was more just like a lyrical exercise, I guess, than anything. Yeah. I mean, the phrase isotonic freezer, honey, you can feel me die. Yeah. And it gets in the breeze. We're silhouetted by the fire. Feels like something was taken around that campfire. Yeah. Jeff was like, what's an isotonic freezer? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded good together <laughs> at the time, you know, which I like where loosening up and writing like that a lot. And I think a lot of my favorite writing is like that too, where sometimes, it's, you know, not every line has to be some deep, meaningful. Blankets in the breeze were Have you ever woken up from a dream with a song? Yeah, yes, and I've missed it <laughs> before too. Where uh, um, I've I've woken up and 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 written lyrics down and gone back to bed, and I've also woken up with song like a, what I thought was a new song in my head from a dream, and then just gone back to bed without doing anything about it and losing it forever. Sleep in a hotel though is keep a pad of paper next to the bed in case I wake up. <clears throat> with a joke in my mind and then if i forget to put the pad of paper there i just convince myself that that joke wasn't that funny <laughs> i go back to sleep you know so i think that if you're if you're like i go through phases of being available to that i feel like more so i feel like if you make yourself available to always being ready to catch those things you could probably get some good stuff you have kids right i do yeah yeah i have an 11 year old daughter a nine-year-old son and uh eight-year-old stepdaughter at a certain point you were going through what I'm going through right now of sleeping kind of, but not really. Yeah. My daughter's about eight and a half, eight and, eight and a half months. Oh yeah. You're in the shit, man. And she recently had a nice little five, six day stretch where every night she was sleeping from like seven 30 to like six. She was sleeping through well, the that's night. Pretty great. 
Yeah. And yeah, you, got, you got used to that, didn't you? Oh yeah. And then last few nights back <laughs> up at 2 a.m. Back. Damn it. Yeah. New yeah, teeth coming in. Um sure. but during those few days when we actually were sleeping, all of a sudden these technicolor dreams started happening for me and my wife. Really? Like, most of the time I feel like I don't remember my dreams or um they'll come in like spurts. Um yeah, like all this because your brain I think was so starved for like extended <laughs> REM REM, you know, yeah. that like it was like, ooh, let's go on a wild ride through <laughs> kind of a nice the sea and the mountains, you know. Right. You have a song called Quitting is Rough. Uh-huh. Of the new record. Um I mean quitting smoking if you're a chain smoker, it's gotta be pretty uh-huh. hard. Like, what was the process? Did you have hypnosis? Like what was the main thing that got you through it? No. Well, I had a partner that quit with me, which is like, probably the biggest help. Uh but I also I you know, it's like I, I I've just gotten like sick and I couldn't get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, that was kind of the impetus, you know. I, it just it was one of those things I just hung around, and 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 I could tell I wasn't doing myself any favors, you know, being on the road and smoking a pack a day, and so it was just time. Um, but you said like that. You mentioned John Prime before. It's that uh, his last record, "When I Go to Heaven," I'm gonna have a smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. <laughs> I, I, I empathize with that. Yeah, for sure. See the stars of Hyper Love me with the painless love Someone might pull the rug out any minute Jack and Lucy eating two Two from me and one from you I don't know just what I'd do without it Yeah, quitting is rough It's such a disconnect because everyone knows how deadly this thing is, right? Right. And it's a part of our culture in movies and in TV. It's available at every single gas station and 7-Eleven and everywhere right. you go as long as you're 18. And it's like on the pack, like this thing will kill you. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Really. And we're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll take another yeah, one. Yeah, but not yet. It'll kill me later. That's yeah. the thing. And it's also not a hundred percent death rate. You know, we all know the story about, oh yeah, my grandma, my, my great grandma, I had yeah. one, you know, she's smoking since she was like 95 and uh, that didn't kill her. Just time got her, you know? And so it's like, we all know that. So I think uh, it's like, it's like a credit card, you know, it's like, I don't have to pay for it now. Right. So it seems fine. And now all everybody that smokes from the young assumes they'll quit at some point, I think, you know, but which is one of those things. You know, it's a, I feel like we work in one of the last businesses where it's still very prevalent. You know, we just played a festival this weekend and I got off stage and everybody's smoking. And like, yeah. what, what, who else goes to the office or whatever and everybody's still going on smoke breaks? You know, it's like we were kind of the last group of people that are still doing that. And so it has, it's, it's a, it's not an easy thing to not do it, but I feel, you know, it's incredible how much I feel, like how, how better I feel. Yeah, going through these rural towns in Kentucky this last weekend, 
we stopped at a gas station and yeah. you walk in everyone's smoking inside playing slot machines <laughs> yeah, yeah and like so your popular. eyes are like burning trying to yeah, like pay well, for your I mean, chips and we yeah. were playing shows shows where every bar we played was smoking you know yeah uh every night was like that and so it's changed in my lifetime uh it was co- when i was a kid it was completely acceptable for parents to smoke in the house to where now it's like the devil you know right. it's, it's gone it's, it's a real culture shift in a real short amount of time so there's definitely always you know there's going to be some outliers still still stick- i kind of kind of respect them for it do you remember the last song that you wrote on a like smoking binge like is it like a line yeah. where it's like I mean, nope everything past this song is post smoking yeah I, there were a couple of the songs let's see i quit smoking a year and a half ago so it hasn't been that long um so i'd say about half the songs on this record were oh, it's pretty recent yeah smoking. yeah i used to go my favorite place i had like this little hideout in duluth that's called the it was it's gone now it was called the voyager inn it was this great little motel downtown uh and it's from a different time you know like outdoor entrance motel right by a couple great bars that i like a lot and you could smoke in the rooms and i'd go on little writing nights there all the time and that was that was uh i was probably one of my more productive times in my life really i go stay there and just write um see some friends and write some songs you know and that that um that place is gone now and that kind of that whole method is gone now so it's all right like it all comes in phases you know and i'm and i feel like i've been just as productive without it i was i was definitely chewing up a lot of toothpicks in the studio after i quit smoking them what is the decision is there a decision i guess to stay without a drummer as you expand in popularity you can add at any time but i think it, it sometimes takes away the purity of the string sound maybe we've played with the drummer a few times live and uh early in studio there's a couple songs on our album trouble that our friend played drums on um and we've done it live too and it's been fun but again it it completely changes the feel all of a sudden there is this kind of metronome on stage where we are so used to our tempo is really flowing with each other Thankfully, we are able to keep, you know, it rarely clashes with us. Once in a while, it would fall apart, but um, we, we've just been playing with each other for so long that we have an idea of a tempo of a song and it moves, you know, we might, the chorus might be a couple of BPMs faster than the, than the verse and it will happen every time. And then when we've had a drummer up there who's actually like a really good drummer, like, oh, it's straight now and <laughs> it doesn't feel right, kind of, you know? Um, I love, man, there's nothing more fun than playing electric guitar in front of a drum kit. It's still one of my favorite things to do in the world. I love playing with drummers. But with this band in particular, uh, the times that we've done it haven't been like, oh, this is, I like this better. It's just been, this is, feels off for us a little bit. 
that being said, creatively, if we really wanted to add a drummer, I'm sure we would get used to it. It's just exposure, you know. But uh, at the moment, I just we all just kind of kind of like how we have it. It's like a bunch of weirdos, you know, that can kind of hear each other's brains tick a little bit. They ripped up the streets in Duluth, a violent reminder of an old truth. Nothing's the same. How could it be? But I'm not the devil that I used to be. Have you ever had that moment where you feel like you're going to be really sick in the middle of a show? Oh yeah, yeah. We had we had a kind of an for us like a notorious food poisoning show where people kept dropping like flies during the set. It was but at the end it was just me and Eric and our banjo player left. Yeah, <laughs> but like our fiddle player was sick four. And then just during the show, I remember Timmy looking at me and be like, I I got to get off the stage and they're throwing up in a trash can on the wings, you know? Uh, yeah, that's happened. I've had it myself as well. It's not great, man. When Alpen Glow comes out um, end of October, if you had the ability to play this record start to finish in any oh, wow. venue oh, wow. anywhere in the world, where would it be? And you can make a bill with three other bands with you. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, Who would those bands be? Well, I think, where would I play this start to finish? I feel like we've played so many really beautiful outdoor venues. Um, but when I think of a show like intentionally made like that, I feel like I'd like to go inside. I don't know. It's like a weather thing. Maybe just want to have control over it, but that being said, I think I would, I, no, I think I'd go outside. One of my new favorite places that we've started to play is this really beautiful amphitheater outside of Missoula, Montana called um, the Kettle House Amphitheater. Yeah. In these mountains, right in front of the Blackfoot River, uh, it's a very idyllic, beautiful place. So I, let's go there. Um, no offense, Red Rocks. I mean, that's always incredible. Uh, but go there and because we probably like to have Jeff in and we love the band I'd say Wilco okay would be one of them uh, and because we were talking about Low before and they're one of my favorite bands I'd say Low would be another one and then oh, third band let's go Dust Bowl Revival man that sounds like a great show you know we love being the third opener you know <laughs> yeah. actually now you're making me feel bad because we turned down a show opening for Lake Street Dive at that amphitheater. Heck oh yeah, well, uh, because it was supposed to be there. in it was supposed to be in um, in uh, Bozeman, and then things got, got moved. weird because of COVID. They wanted to make it outside, which <laughs> oh. was fair, but we like we couldn't change our flight, so everything got like, gotcha. super messed up. Yeah, well, I hope you. I'm sure you will play there, but when you do it, like think of maybe think of this conversation but it's, it's a really great place that would be really fun um uh-huh. take us out with the song starting over and uh where that song came from uh yeah that i mean that that came from is it that one is as opposed to like burlesque desert window this one felt very literal for me um just uh the description of a of a of a new of a, of a maybe a large change in life or a new start whether that's moving to new town you know a divorce a uh, new jobs, something like that, and being intimidated 
going into it and then finding out that it's actually a great thing happens to be an awesome thing for you to do once in a while i feel like i think that's where that came from well keep up the good work man this record is really beautiful uh thank you very much dude thanks for doing this podcast i appreciate you having me on yeah man we'd love to team up one of these days i likewise absolutely all right man all right later Hard to hard, burn it to the ground. Make the beds up, go to work. Fall to pieces, have you heard? Really breaking, full of nerve. Let's get out of town. Oh, it's straining, change the pace. Hasty visions, hide your face. Don't let go, don't let go. Man, that song sounds good. Give it up for Dave Simonet of Trampled by Turtles. Uh, thanks to him and his team for uh, making this happen. Uh, TrampledbyTurtles.com is the website. They have a lot of awesome tour dates coming up, including uh, Webster Hall in New York, November 10th, November 11th at the House of Blues in Boston, November 12th at the State Theater in Portland, and uh, all over the place. Their newest record, produced by Jeff Tweedy, is called Alpenglow on 30 Tigers. And if you go to our uh, mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, Trampled by Turtles are the artists of the month. If you're curious what my group Dust Bowl Revival is up to coming up, well, we have a show in Viroqua, Wisconsin this weekend. Yes, at the Temple Theater. Looking forward to that playing with Jim Lauderdale. His episode just aired last week. And as always, if you go to theshowontheroad.com slash episodes, you can hear all 120 of our interviews. And uh, the YouTube channel has some uh, full interviews that you can watch with our faces involved. Uh, Dust Bowl Revival will be playing in California a few different places in December. We just announced a holiday hoedown show December 18th at the Venice West uh, just down the road from me here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Ray Zaragoza is joining us on December 18th there. Uh, December 16th at Pappy and Harriet's in Pioneertown out in Joshua Tree and uh, up in the Bay December 11th at the Chapel in San Francisco and December 10th at Morro Bay's The Siren. If you still listen to terrestrial radio, old school, blasted in your car radio like I do, uh, 88.5 FM, KCSN, the SoCal Sound, on Sundays, you could hear this very voice coming out over the airwaves. Yes, I have a brand new show called the Sway Out West Radio Hour. Uh, it's very exciting. I've always wanted to do this since I was a little kid. Uh, 7 a.m., you can tune in and listen to some sweet jams and little snippets of past interviews of this very podcast. Uh, as always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Uh, stay safe, stay warm, and we'll see you on the trail. Don't let go. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. 
Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!